Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking in the rearview mirror. That's right, we're looking back over 2022 at some of the major discussion points through the year, how perhaps they've created opportunity and how they've wrong-footed people at the same time. Plenty to take out of this. I'm sure you'll be coming up for air at the end of it because it's been one heck of a year and uh, certainly plenty to digest, so enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Renshaw. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter, and jumping straight into things today. I'm really excited about today's episode. This is our famous year in review podcast. We do these every year. Here we are at the end of season three, the 2022 year in review. What a year it's been. It's hard to believe that, uh, you know, we really are at the, the, the finish line for the year. And when you look back at some of the tumultuous events in 2022, it's just been, it's definitely one for the books. Every year feels like it brings with it its own uh, own story, but this year has just been a bit of everything. It's been a, yeah, it's just, just, just been a, a, a mammoth production, that's for sure. I can, I can only imagine when we get to say season 10 or 12, we're gonna look back at our season one, two and three year in reviews, and it's just gonna be like, wow, that was just crazy. And this yep. year is no exception to that. You, you won't have very many years in your trading and investing career that will carry with it the uncertainty, the volatility, uh, and the number of factors, macroeconomic factors especially, uh, that have come along and, and, and knocked forecasts, outlooks, and strategies into touch uh, and taking you from looking like a hero to a fool and back in 30 seconds flat. It's it's just been an incredible year. So let's dive into the matter. What do you got? I mean, we all look a year older, I'm sure, probably a year more handsome and fitter nonetheless, and certainly a year healthier uh, and wealthier. But uh, what have we got for the year? I think the, the biggest, ob- the big obvious one in here, the elephant in the room, is, is the war, Ukraine and Russia. That's right. Well, we saw that kick off in February. And um, yeah, it was really interesting at the back end of last year, I think around about November time, we were starting to get quite interested in energy prices. Uh, and that came through in spades as a, a very rewarding trade uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, and that war uh, is, is still ongoing now. Yeah, I think most people, myself included, probably expected that to be sort of wrapped up and done and dusted in in five minutes. And, and, and in reality, here we are. And it's testimony to you know the, the, the fortitude of the Ukrainians and uh, and obviously some of the help they've had from the West in terms of thwarting uh, Russia's attempts. But we're sat here um, you know, through the Christmas period uh, and there are people, millions and millions of people without power, without water and you know, freezing. Uh, it's almost uh, hard to believe that we see that in the 21st century. But yep, an old fashioned war, a very nasty war and, uh, and one that perhaps when we look back with hindsight might be an unnecessary one too. Absolutely. And uh, I think the, the investment opportunities that, that yeah. a lot of our investors drew from this was the commodities market, yeah. particularly oil and natural yeah. gas. Oil and natural gas were two big plays on there. Also, we had a good dabble in the grains. Uh, a lot of speculation given you know, what a um, what a massive exporter of commodities like grain commodities that the Ukraine is. Um, we saw a big surge uh, in, in wheat uh, that came off the boil through the year as the reality that you know there was gonna, the world's population wasn't going to be starved to death. Um, you know, there were going to be um, trade agreements held in play and, and exports did happen, but uh, certainly wheat and corn were also quite a nice little run there uh, in those two ETFs, WEAT and C-O-R-N, corn, uh, being two of the ETFs that profited very well from that. Um, so, you know, harrowing as it is, our job isn't to sit here uh, with a moral compass, it's to provide investment opportunities for our clients. And, and there are uh, four being, you know, oil, natural gas, wheat and corn that uh, that came directly out of that, uh, that invasion of the Ukraine and hopefully that's something that does get resolved sooner rather than later for the sake of humankind. Well, speaking of which, and let's keep this maybe on a, 
political sort of mandate whilst we're chatting about this now. We chat about China and Taiwan mm. and the issues that have been going on there. Yeah, look, at that, that again, I think once the world sort of sat back and has allowed Russia um, to, to, to go about what it's done in the Ukraine, yeah, albeit with some fairly harsh economic sanctions, but at the same time with a, a reasonable level of impunity when you've got people dying from their town, uh, schools, hospitals and buildings that they live in being hit with missiles. Um, you know, it does look like to an extent the West has sat back and I think China has seized on that opportunity insofar as, OK, well, it's OK for Russia to have a crack at the Ukraine. Uh, we might go full steam ahead into Taiwan. And I guess some fairly firm words from uh, from President Biden in the US has made it pretty clear that that is something that would involve the US getting engaged in a conflict. So that hasn't happened, fortunately, for the world. Um, but nonetheless, you know, from a geopolitical perspective, you know, and looking at you know, China's expansion policies uh, throughout the, the South China Seas and beyond, um, you know, there is a heck of a land grab going on right now. And whilst all of this uh, is going on, the West focus is on that. And we're dealing with some fairly tough economic conditions. And, and, and meanwhile, India has sat back and just got on with growing its economy quite nicely under the radar till we just published it now. <laughs> Indeed we did. Now, changing pace, AB, because we've got a lot to cover mm. in this review. Let's talk, let's talk about, excuse me, interest rates and inflation. It's really been the talk of the town this year. Certainly has been. I mean, we've seen, you know, levels of inflation that you know, haven't been witnessed for an awful long time. Um, you know, 7 8% in, in, in the US and Australia as the two benchmarks, over 11% in the UK. Uh, and it's been an awful long time since we've seen anything really like that. Uh, and for the majority of people that are investors and going about their daily business, they've never seen it and, and haven't reacted well to the fact that there's a huge pinch on the cost of living. And it's not necessarily you know, sitting high on the hog, um, just everyday stuff, filling your fuel up with car, uh, filling your car up with fuel, should I say, um, you know, filling the grocery uh, trolley with food. It's all more expensive than, than than people can really deal with at a time when, you know, the, the margins for living uh, between, you know, wage growth and, 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 and the general cost has been shrinking at a rate of knots. Affordability in the property market being a, a big factor there too. Um, I've seen a lot of people really struggle massively financially and put themselves under you know, incredible duress. And it's not fun. It's a diminishing quality of life economically, and that's not what people really dream about. Um, I guess in terms of interest rates, yeah, it's been a tale of two very, very different halves insofar as the way the US has handled things versus that that we've seen here in Australia. So, you know, hats off to Jerome Powell, the chair of the FOMC and Fed Reserve in the US. Um, he's been extraordinarily clear in his communication with markets. He's also been, uh, admittedly, they got to the party a little bit late, but they've played catch up quite well with some fairly aggressive direct interest rate moves that have you know, taken you know, US rates up to you know, that, that sort of low to medium fours, uh, which is unprecedented considering it's 0.1% not that long ago. Um, and, and, and it appears to have started to work in that inflation is slowing down. And I think we're probably going to see peak interest rates uh, probably January, February uh, in 2023. Um, but they've done a pretty good job. But more than being aggressive with the, the the medicine, they've been extremely good at communicating it. Now, by contrast, if we look at that here in Australia, it would be a year in review if I didn't talk about Philip Lowe or Dr. Philip Lowe, should we say, uh, and how poorly um, the Australian Reserve Bank have really operated insofar as not only have the measures they've taken been probably a little bit too light, 
but their ability to communicate with markets and not just with markets, but with the, 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 the Australian public have been woeful. There should never be comments that are open to misinterpretation. And when you see how emphatic the Reserve Bank were, there will be no interest rate rises until 2024 at the earliest. And they reiterated that at a separate presentation. There's no room to misinterpret that. There's no, oh, you didn't pick up on the micro signal of me scratching my left earlobe when I said it. It was made very, very clear. And the, the flip side to that is that it's resulted in a lot of everyday people on the basis that they were told not to worry about interest rates for a couple of years have probably borrowed more than they'd be comfortable borrowing to get into an overheated property market. And now, of course, with interest rates moving up in the way that they have, you know, they've got to now find, you know, 800 to 1500 bucks a month extra to service a more expensive mortgage. And it's caused massive, massive damage. Uh, and it's very unfortunate because it was avoidable with better communication. Couldn't agree more. And I guess let's let's talk about maybe the property market in a little bit mm. more detail, AB. Prices have come down this year. Well, yep. In the latter parts of this year, we've seen auction clearing rates fall away as well. Yep. What are your thoughts there in terms of how to recap that for the year? I think, you know, the, the property market has been very uh, made up of a lot of different pockets. So if you take, for example, uh, Melbourne and Victoria, it's probably been one of the weaker areas insofar as uh, property prices are concerned and probably not that hard to understand uh, given how stringent the lockdowns were. Uh, during during the uh, pandemic, even harder to fathom that they managed to re-elect Dan Andrews as their premier. How can uh, we forget? Uh, but but it's happened. Never underestimate people. Anyway, I won't even finish that uh, <laughs> that quote. Um, no, we won't. We'll leave that one in. That's uh, this is of a course. look back on the year, and uh, and it, it's it's bizarre. But there you go. People get what they uh, they vote for. Um, but the migration that we've seen out of that state elsewhere has supported property prices. You know, Queensland's been relatively defensive. You know, my neck of the woods in the Northern Rivers, Byron Bay area has also been. Yeah, pretty resilient. And yes, prices have lost that FOMO, that charge at auction, and clearance rates have slowed down a little bit in, in a lot of the cities. But I think there's still been quite a, a, a reasonable uh, price achieved in some states in that property space. I think that's going to change quite dramatically with higher interest rates. Um, but we're also in a situation here in Australia where you know, investors have been very aggressive through the property market, um, particularly when interest rates were quite low. Uh, and that's resulted in you know, a lot of stock being taken out of the market is in the renting pool, and particularly in short-term renting, you know, your Airbnbs versus available for longer-term tenancy, which has served to push up rents you know, really quite substantially. So it's created a, a real pain point, if you will, for renters, um, which is unfortunate, uh, but they're the commercial forces at play here where um, you know, the people that do own property and given the holding costs of that property have increased considerably with, with higher interest rates. Like any business, they're gonna pass that cost on uh, to the end user, which in this case has prompted you know, higher rents for, for people that are in the rental space. It's tough out there. The, the consumers tough. really struggled this year, no very, doubt. Very, very tough. And, and, and you know, is it opportunistic on their part? Is it is it exploiting the market or is it just a pure factor of market forces that unfortunately are market forces? Supply and demand are what dictate price. And, um, and, and that's left people in a very, very difficult situation from a rental perspective, for sure. Got it. Add to that slowdown in the construction side too. You know, we've seen this year, you know, a significant number of builders go under from, you know, some fairly high profile companies, you know, ProBuild, Condev, for example. You know, at one point in time, there was talk of Metricon going, but they managed to shore up their balance sheet with, with some urgent finance from some of the big stakeholders in that business. But I think more than anything, that's exposed, um, you know, 
the very, very thin market uh, margins that the property uh, industry has been operating on and with costs increasing, as everyone's seen across building materials, as costs increase with high levels of wages um, and, and higher interest rates for funding debt, it's made it very, very difficult for those companies to, uh, to survive. So we've seen a fair slug of them uh, go under. Also, it's called into question the way that insurance works in the property market because, for example, in New South Wales, uh, the state underwrites the construction of your property from an insurance perspective, yet in every other business, you have to have professional indemnity insurance that you pay for yourself. So they've managed to lay off the risk in construction and push it onto the uh, the taxpayer and the state, as opposed to absorbing it personally or, or within the company, which is probably how it should be. Totally, that's, that's really backwards mm. and really bizarre. Speaking of which, and I think this is probably- There's the a lot of things this year that I have know, been I just, I've got a long list in my brain that I want to run through. <laughs> this is the third time we've spoken of this and it's mm. kind of the forbidden word at the moment, but we're going to have to say it, that's COVID AB this mm. year. Yeah, it's reared its head again. Um, you know, we're sitting on the on the on the on the hopefully something that's not going to uh, be too damaging. But you know, certainly in China, we saw lockdowns occur once again, and yeah, China's starting to come to the reality. I think that zero COVID isn't a policy that that is effective uh, and and really realistic. You know, I've seen the drama it's caused at Foxconn, Apple's plant, and you know there'll be big knock-on effects for Apple there as they they fail to uh, be able to meet demand for their product because their factories shut. Um, and and yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how. China deals with this. You know, there are obviously cultural issues there, you know, and it's a huge generalization, but particularly in Asian culture, you know, changing direction and admitting you're wrong or losing that, uh, that you know, a loss of face is, is arguably one of the biggest insults that you can have. And so you can understand why the government have been fairly resolute on it, because that, that 180 turn is, is just unfathomable from a cultural perspective. Um, but yet, you know, in terms of the practicalities is probably what needs to happen. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, you know, having spent some time in Italy uh, through the middle of the year, it was actually really interesting to spend time in a place where no one is dominated by headlines like COVID. And I think, you know, they had such a huge mortality rate at the very outset uh, of, of, of the pandemic that, you know, anyone that was likely to die has probably passed away, unfortunately. And so they're getting on with life there. And it was quite refreshing, actually, to be in, in that environment. Um, but yeah, it's it's that acronym that just keeps coming back and it does. Uh, might dominate next year's conversation too, depending on how, of course, it impacts on money and investing. Indeed. Well, let's hope not. Changing pace now, what about our good old friend Elon Musk and Twitter? <laughs> how could we forget this year? Yeah, look, I mean, it was the deal that was done and then wasn't done and he tried to wheedle out of it and then it called into question the um, the veracity of the subscriber numbers on Twitter, which to be fair, as, as a business that operates in the social media space, we're pretty skeptical about some of the policies that social media providers operate in terms of their subscriber numbers and things like that. Be careful what we say about it. But um, yeah, the, the reality is you know, Twitter probably didn't have as many people as he thought he was buying. He tried to get out of the transaction, couldn't do it. So he's ended up buying it anyway. Uh, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how Twitter too comes back. At the moment, you know, there's a lot of negative PR. Um, you know, uh, and look, hats off to the guy. The reason he's the richest guy in the world is not money motivated. It's a byproduct of his vision for how he sees the world, whether that be through you know, early investments in things like PayPal or whether it be through Tesla or SpaceX. Or, you know, you look at Starlink now in terms of the Internet service and what they're looking to to be able to do with that. It's someone that's a pure visionary and, and walking into a business where, you're expected to provide lunch for your employees, but everyone's working from home. So you go, okay, we'll stop providing lunch. And yet there's a backlash going, oh, you can't stop providing lunch. It's like 400 bucks per employee to provide lunch. <laughs> what are you talking about? It makes no commercial sense. Got it. Uh, it, it's quite interesting and it'll be very, it'll be 
very, very interesting to see what the re-emergence of Twitter comes back. His view is, I think, that he wants it to be the, the global uh, town square where there is a level of freedom of speech that's not man, uh, not too censored, as we've seen with you know some of the high publicity um, bannings on Twitter, you know, obviously Donald Trump being one of them. Um, Took yeah. the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, well, if you're providing a platform for freedom of speech, then it's exactly that. It's a platform for freedom of speech. Um, the flip side is, there has to be a filter of some sort if people are there, you know, that are hate spreaders and, and, and doing bad things, which in which case takes away their right to freedom of speech. It's a very tricky one. Glad it's not my decision to, to call it. But, you know, there's a good chance that Twitter Mark II um, has got the potential to be everything and more that it really should be. And, and you've got someone that's got the financial backing in order to make that a reality, that's for sure. He's certainly got the vision for it. And and now I think he's got a real bee in his bonnet. He'll, 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 he'll deliver. But it's just been interesting to see the media's dealing uh, of that acquisition and yeah and I guess you give people good fodder when you dismiss people via email I guess they're all working from home you can't call them into the office if they're not there you'd have to buy them lunch if you did that $400 uh, a person $400 a person um, so yeah it'll be very very interesting to see uh, what happens but you know he's someone that's redlines his business in terms of employee uh, commitment um, and the, the employees are rewarded handsomely. So if you're in there and you're part of the the, the future as opposed to the past, then I think the you know the, the the little blue bird, if it ends up still being the little blue bird, is going to be a, a good place to be. And if you if you're not and you want to be part of the old guard, well, I think that's been well and truly turned off. Well, sort of diving on the topic of free speech, we spoke mm. about Donald Trump just just quickly there. Mm. How can we forget U.S. midterm elections this year and a nice rerun? Segue. Your segues this year have just got better and better. See, it's when I've got all these lists playing in my head, AB, it's just like just rolls off the tongue. And Donald Trump, <laughs> how could we forget? Of course. So yeah, the midterm. So we saw um, you know, the Republicans regain control, and I think a, a, a split system um, creates quite a logjam in terms of legislation. Uh, which, to be fair, um, you know, depending on your political allegiances, could be a good thing or, or not so good thing, depending on how you see it. Good for stock markets, though, right? Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, you know, the Republicans have played the debt ceiling card a, a few times as leverage um, in in this situation. Um, but you know, looking at you know some of the the, the policies at play, the the, the Democrats have put forward. You know, you've had the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, it's 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 a nothing. It's 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 a politically mo- motivated nothing achieving act in in the near term. And if you're Joe Bag of Donuts living in America week to week trying to make ends meet, um, the fact that that act will have absolutely no impact on your life for at least ten to fifteen years doesn't resolve the immediate problem. Uh, and 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 it's it's cheap politics when you start doing that sort of stuff. But yeah, we've seen uh, seen a shift there, and I think. I don't think here's an outlook for not for next year, but the year after. I don't think we're going to see a, 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 a second coming uh, of Donald Trump as president on a basis of age, probably legal challenges, but more importantly, I think a, a more appropriately qualified um, candidate will be in the in the in the hot seat, and I suspect Ron DeSantis will be uh, will be the next president Old of the United States. There we go. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last series of elections. You know, if Joe Biden and Donald Trump are the best two you can offer up, it's a very very sad <laughs> state of affairs. Um, someone like Ron DeSantis, who's younger uh, and and pretty well qualified, I think, for that role. Um, is, has got all the hallmarks of a, a great future president, and I think it would be good for America to have somebody that's maybe a little less extreme um, in, in that role where they perhaps think a little bit more about the sound bites coming out of their mouth, but also back it up with action. 
Okay, well, diving deeper into the topic, another segue here for you into some disconnect and some issues. <laughs> Change of pace here, economic data this oh. year. I mean, there's been a huge <laughs> disconnect between the, what the data says, what markets have done, and what people have actually felt and, 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 and reacted to. So 2022, how would you sum it up, AB? I'd say this has been the hardest year I can remember personally for me in markets to have a really direct and accurate bead in terms of the reality of what's happened versus what should be happening. And that's 30 years yeah. experience, the hardest year you've had in hardest 30. Hardest year by, by, by a margin. That's um, crazy. We, we used to publish a, a book called Outrageous Market Predictions, which we used to put out this time of year, and I guess the podcast is, is, is usurped that. Um, why do I say that? Well, if you look at all the economic data versus what's gone on, so take housing starts, for example, which have been in a decline. We've seen interest rates moving higher. Um, the demand for new houses has slowed because to move, you've got to refinance. In the US, a lot of people on 30-year fixed mortgages with you know, 2% or less as their uh, as their interest payment. You refinance now at 7%, it's not very attractive. So housing starts have been declining, slow, slow, slow. And then this month, on the back of a 0.75% increase in interest rates and the continuation of the trend down, comes out with a better than expected figure and you'd have for all money taking the other side of that trade. Just one example. But you know, looking at consumer confidence, which has been pretty resilient. And I think one thing I'd say this year, you know, the US economy has been incredibly resilient, more resilient, I think, than anyone would have expected in the face of, you know, some fairly tough fiscal policy interest rate moves that we've seen, which, you know, given how aggressive they've been implemented, uh, should have really pulled things up pretty quick smart. You know, just looking at the Black Friday slash Cyber Monday slash Thanksgiving weekend, you know, three three different sort of focus points all in the same weekend for, for shopping. And it was a record a record weekend for sales, albeit online, um, but just absolutely astronomical. And for all money, you would bet that that wouldn't be the case as people batten down the hatches and struggle to make ends meet, um, given you know the rampant cost of living. You know, having been in the US earlier in the year and a couple of things out of that trip, number one, obviously the level of homelessness was just even more epidemic than, than normal. But number two was that pain point that was almost universal everywhere was how expensive everything was and that people were really struggling financially. Yet you look at a Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales weekend and it's gone ballistic. I think the longer term consequence of that are going to be quite different in that there may have been a large volume of sales, but the discount levels that retailers were having to apply was really quite strong. And that'll come home to roost, I suspect, when we get into the next earnings season. We go, look, we, we had great sales volume, but the margin we made out of that was was compromised and was actually reasonably thin. You know, and, and to that point, you know, you look at, say, something like Walmart, for example, which, you know, the world's biggest retailer and, and, and it's got rising levels of inventory far higher than what its sales are growing at. So you're going to see that inventory go in the discount. Uh, hopper at some point too. So, yeah, I'm expecting whilst yeah the data has been reasonably strong, certainly stronger than you'd expect over the back back end of this year. I think the consequences are still going to be felt in earnings in the first quarter. Yeah, we got that wrong. We expected to see that this side of Christmas. I think we'll still see it after Christmas as companies come to terms with with those higher costs and more discount needed in order to maintain market share. There's a lot in there. And mm. as you mentioned, it's been a really challenging year. There's another disconnect for you. We've had rampant inflation, but we haven't really seen much of a move in gold other than over the last few weeks. That's true. Um, so once again, yeah, and this one is probably worth talking to in that 
um, you know, your average investor, when you speak to them, and we see this on social all the time, we talk about our game plan against inflation or buy gold, but it's actually been a woeful play uh, over the last you know, three years in that respect, uh, other than the last couple of weeks. And why is that? There's another disconnect that you'd uh, normally expect to see uh, happen. And how do you go to bag of tricks as an economist? It hasn't worked. It's been a weird year. And I think when we, when we think about it and chat about it, it, it is a, a really challenging year when you think about it. So are there anything that you, any other things that you can think of? I think I'm, I'm out of... New government here in Australia. New government, that's right. Yeah, uh, it's been interesting to see, you know, I think for the first sort of month, month and a half, Albanese did a pretty reasonable job of um, of, of trying to galvanise the country after what was a, a, a pretty average um, uh, previous government. Um, but, yeah, the wheels are starting to crack there. And I think for Australia, um, as a country that kind of prides itself on being progressive in terms of its thought process... Yeah, there are a lot of regressive things going on right now, and probably the 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 the, the, the and this is not a you know, a, a political um, dig at all. Uh, you look at the changes that Labour have tried to push through from an industrial reform uh, perspective. Um, normally, industrial relations acts take quite some time. They go through quite a considered you know process in order to be well considered uh, by all stakeholders. Uh, we had the job summit that happened you know, not too long after the election, which created a level of vibrancy and optimism, I think, in business, you know, where you had a, a very much a, a consultative type environment between government and employers and employee representation to, to try and work on what Australia looks like as we continue to be progressive and move forward. And we've got the Fair Work Act already, which actually, as its name would suggest, a Fair Work Act. Um, but those changes to industrial relations where the use of collective bargaining, so if you're in a particular industry now uh, and they've tried to change who's involved to try and remove a lot of small business from this, which is a good thing, uh, but if you're involved in a particular industry, there's going to be an industry award based on collective bargaining, which is a return to union power. And you know, unions represent less than 10% of the workforce in Australia these days because we're a progressive country, and yet we're trying to bring the power of the unions really back straight uh, in the guts of what's going on. And that's a major step back because as an employer, it makes life very, very hard to run your business and reward people properly. If you've got overachievers, they should be rewarded well. If you've got underachievers, uh, they give them the help that they need to get on point. And if they're not help, uh, unable to be helped, then I guess the next thing is a rehab out the door uh, to somewhere where the culture might be a better fit. And harsh as that may sound, you want to, as an employer, create an environment where everyone can thrive and earn what they need to, as opposed to what you're mandated to pay somebody. And that's not to underpay people, it's so you can overpay people reward success and that's what progressive should be uh, and, I, and I think you know that plus some of the tax reforms that we're starting to see you know, is a real step back for Australia um, in terms of uh, in terms of where we may be and that will have impacts from a you know foreign investment perspective but it also massively impacts on business confidence and you know we've spoken in this podcast this year about the number of people that are employed by small business business confidence is so so important to keep the wheels of our economy turning uh, and, and and people may argue well it's not just about money you know, it's not just about the economy, you know, it's about people. Yes, that's very true. And the more the wheels of the economy turn and the more money people make, the more tax they pay to support those that need help. When you slow the train down, everybody suffers because there's less cash to go around to help those people that perhaps are on welfare or, or need some form of social security. And, you know, whilst I, I may come across as being, you know, a little more right wing in what my views perhaps are, having spent some time again in the US as I spent you know, years in the US now, but earlier this year probably highlighted more than anything how important it is to have a very fair uh, and 
resourced social security system to help people when they really need it. When you see hundreds of thousands of people living on the street, that's not such a good thing. And there needs to be um, something put in play to help those people. That said, on the other side of the equation, uh, we're looking in Australia at such strong job numbers right now, yet we've got more people claiming benefit than before the pandemic, and that can't be right either. We need people to work. It's not a choice. It's an obligation as a functioning member of society to do that. And I think, you know, in our attempts to be maybe a little bit progressive or more progressive than uh, is healthy, uh, we've kind of lost sight of the fact that people need to be contributing members of society, not just because of uh, financials, but to give people a purpose and to have a level of inclusion. We talk about being in a more inclusive society. So why don't we include people in the workforce? Another big disconnect or a number of them there that hugely, you mentioned, Abby. Hugely in that regard, for sure, yeah. So, you know, looking back on the year, it's, it, it, it's, it's just been crazy, truly. We, we, we should get our listeners out there, if you're listening to this right now, comment below the moment or the event or whatever it was that stood out to you most. I'd be really interested to hear if there's something that we've missed today, AB, or really what stood out to our listeners. Mm. Here's another one for you. Buy now, pay later. We've talked about this previously. We have was to it? talk about it. Buy now, paying later. Yep. Here's a reframe. So here was something that was a market darling a few years ago, and I think it's coming home to roost now, as per our previous comments, that, yeah, it, it probably wasn't the knight in shining armour that it looked to be. And again, you know, the, the, there are so many subsets that you can drop in and evaluate. You know, we've, we've got a market overall that most people would describe as being very volatile, yet if we look at the measure of volatility, the VIX index or you know, VIXI or UVXY, which are some of the ETFs that we trade off that, you know, they're, they're, at, they're at below year low levels right now, they're at all time lows for the year uh, in a market that most people are suggesting is pretty, pretty volatile. So there's another disconnect between the measure of volatility and how it truly feels. And that I think just sums up the year. The right and left hand aren't clapping. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up there, Abby. That's a good way to finish. 2022 year in review. We're going to edge into season four. Yeah, congratulations, man. Congratulations. It's, uh, it's, uh, I know when we started this, a lot of people, oh, you're never going to do weekly. We'll always find something to talk about. I don't know what your feedback is as a listener as to what we talk <laughs> about. But here we are concluding, you know, putting this one in the tin for, for season three. So a massive congratulations for bringing your personality and, and line of inquiry into this to try and get more out of me. And big, big, uh, gold star for you for your segues this year. They've uh, they've Thank improved. You. They were coming from a very modest base, but they're <laughs> any pretty improvement's good. better than they're, no improvement, they're, right? They're, they're getting pretty good now. <laughs> so um, it's great to be sitting here at the end of season three, and more importantly, looking forward to uh, some of the great guests that we know we've got lined up for for, for season four and beyond. Plus, a new studio, I believe. The uh, powers that be have got the checkbook out, so yep. we might find ourselves in a even more salubrious set of circumstances to talk to this stuff. Can't wait. Well, Merry Christmas, AB. Thank you to our listeners out there for tuning in. And uh, should we go and grab a beer? Sounds like a wonderful idea. Done. Let's do it. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating. More importantly, we look forward to hosting you as we move into season four of the Money and Investing Show next year. Speak then.